Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. We do adore you, Lord. We give you all glory and honor and praise this morning. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I'm absolutely overcome with gratitude this morning. So thankful for what you've done, for what you've accomplished. Lord John 1 starts out, says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God and with God. And there was nothing that was made that was made apart from the Word. And the Word became perfect example of what we were called to be. Thank you. God, we are so thankful. You can never be repaid. We can never do enough. It was a free gift of love. glory and honor and praise this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. Well, if you were with us last week or any time before that, you know that you probably noticed a little change. There's something different behind us. That was the last big change in the sanctuary remodel. Um, as I said, I'm overcome with gratitude this morning, and, and it is amazing the things that God has done uh, physically around NCC over the, the past seven years. But I want to say that that pales in comparison to his word and to what he's doing in the spirit and what he has planned for our future and what he's accomplishing before I continue on that, I just want to share something real quick. This isn't, this is free bonus material this morning. Um, in Revelation, this is after the, after the tribulation, whether that happened, you know, rapture, pre, post, mid, whatever, trib, who knows, God does. This is after that. Because after that, the word tells us that Jesus Christ will reign for a thousand years. And after that thousand year reign, it says that Satan is released again. And he gathers up after a thousand years of being under the rule of Christ, there are still people who say, I will not be ruled. I am my own God. After a thousand years of Christ's physical presence, and it says that they're gathered together around God's saints and around the holy city of Jerusalem. And it says they number like the sands of the sea. And there is no battle. 
God sends fire from heaven. Totally clears it out. And it says Satan is cast to the pit of hell forever and ever and ever. That's the end of the story. That's the end. It's not a battle. There is no battle. There's no struggle. It's not an equal footing. It's not a boxing match that we just hope God finally lands that good sucker punch on the devil. There is no comparison. That's the end. God's purposes and will is going to happen. His word says that it goes forth and never comes back void. All we have to know is what His Word says and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church today. And if we stand on His Word, we will accomplish everything that He sets out for us to do. That was all extra. <laughs> Amen. So, um, I want to I say thank you for some things that have happened over the years. But like I said, and they are fantastic. God has absolutely blessed us immensely. But again, in comparison to all that, it's like so small. But God's still so good to bless in these ways as well. So when I got here um, seven going on eight years ago, we were almost $400,000 in debt. And God spoke to the elders and gave us a word to pay off the debt. In a very short amount of time, we paid off the debt, and then we were debt-free. God had already given a word to build uh, a building like NCC West. And I just want to take a moment and say what that is. That is a building dedicated to the children and youth of this community and beyond. God has called us to reach the generations, and we answered that call, and we're answering that call today, and we're going to answer that call as long as we're able. That's for our children, for our future. That's what is, is represented by that structure over there. And when God told us to build it, he said, do it without taking a loan. We didn't think that was possible. We were like, we, we came up with a plan. We came up with phases, and we were going to do each phase by itself so that uh, we wouldn't have to take debt. And when we finished one phase, we'd wait till we had money for the second. And then when we finished that, we were going to wait till we had money for the third. Well, guess what? We never had to wait as fast. Amen. And that's God's glory, not ours. He provided. We thank you for your faithfulness of giving, but God provides through us. As Mark said last week, 100% of what we have is His. We merely give back a portion. And so as fast as we could work with contractors and architects and all of that to do that, the provision came, and that was built debt-free. Well, then we finished that, and we obviously knew He didn't call us to come out of that and then get debt here. Everything that you've seen done in this sanctuary remodel has been paid in cash. God provided. He did that, not us. That's not... To our glory, that's to His glory, His honor, His praise. And on top of that, did you know God multiplies gifts? So some of you may be aware of this, some of you may not. You may have seen the, the construction workers out here. Uh, Neely Roofing uh, put on a fantastic new roof that is far better than the roof that we initially had. The, this structure right here that's about 30 plus years old um, had a 30-year roof. The U around us had about a 
10, 11, 12-year roof, something like that. And um, we had turkey pans all over the place. You couldn't see them because they were in the drop ceiling, but every time it would rain, they'd catch the water, and then we'd somebody would go dump out the turkey pans. Um, well, after that storm that we had, and I'm sure a lot of y'all got some new roofs out of that, um, we had a, a, a hole out here in the foyer that flooded the foyer, just water. It was like somebody put a, a hose in the ceiling and just water was pouring in. Pastor Joe actually stuck his finger. I think that story of the, I don't know what the kid's name is, but he sticks his finger in the Pastor Joe's up there and we're vacuuming and mopping and all this stuff. Anyway, we didn't think the insurance was going to cover it because it was so old. We're like, it's all depreciated. Uh, probably won't even hit our deductible. Uh, Mike called it in and we're just like, well, maybe they'll do something and help out a little bit. They called back a few weeks later after they did all the, the looking and they said, we're writing you up for a new roof. Almost, almost $250,000 that cost us nothing. Amen. God was just like, here you go. I had thought for years, like, we got to start setting aside money for the next five years or ten years when it's just totally falling apart because we're going to have to put a new roof. And God's like, no, you don't. Here you go. You have it now. Um, so anyway, all that just to say we are grateful. God has blessed us, and we know that he is going to use these things to reach beyond. Um, I want to take just a quick moment to hit two other things before we jump in the message. Uh, one, and they're both, they both relate to the message. First, I want to share uh, one of our core values, and I'm going to be sharing more of these in the upcoming months. Um, but one of our core values is the Word of God. His scripture, the voice of God, the Holy Spirit, the standard of the word, how he speaks through multiple ways. And that is one of our core values. We believe we have to hear and understand the voice of God. We believe that everything I just described was us responding to the voice of God. And he provided because he said to do it. I think we can all think of examples or testimonies in our life where we got a good idea And went out and did something and there was no provision. There was no path made because we were doing something that was on our own. And I say all this as, and I know Pastor Joe has the same struggle I do. Anytime we're preaching a message, we want to preach it all. (laughs) And I want to tell you, here's some homework for you. This week, read John 1, John 11, and John 12. I wanted to read all three of those chapters to you this morning. We just don't have time. But when I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, that's good. I can't leave it out. That's good. I can't leave it out. That's, it's all good. It's all the word of the Lord. It all has application. It all has a purpose. I just can't share it all with you this morning. And, and at the end of this, if you know me at all, you know I, when I preach, I use lots of scripture. There's still going to be a lot of scripture. There was more. <laughs> I, I cut it out. I, I, I edited it uh, so that hopefully we, we finish on time this morning. But I just want you to understand the, that you need to dig into the Word. You need, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, anything that we're sharing, anything that I share this morning, dig into it more yourself as this week goes on. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you what He would have you do with that Word, with that uh, thing that He is putting on your heart. And finally, our vision at NCC is that we invite all people in the communities where we live to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ. NCC is not just called to Lampathis. 
God has clearly spoken over the last uh, year or so to the elders to expand our tent, to expand our vision. And, and he's already expanding it. You, if, if you don't live in Lampasas, raise your hand. Look around you. Did any, were any of you aware that that many people are coming to, to NCC that aren't in Lampasas? And so we, we lit our, our previous vision was that we invite all people uh, to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ in relationship. We changed that to be a little bit more, instead of the whole world through that word all, we're saying we invite all the people in the communities where we live to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ because God has called each and every one of us to reach the people that are around us in our sphere of influence. And we believe he has called us to reach out to Kempner and Lomita and Briggs and Burnett and Cove and beyond, wherever God would bring people. But guess what? It's not just to experience him here. It's for you to take his word, his gospel, to your community, to Cove, to Kempner, to Lomita, and and show them that they can know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ as well. That is our call to equip you, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So keep all that in mind as we jump into the word this morning. Well, you may know, or you may not know, but the whole body of Christ this morning is celebrating Palm Sunday today. Palm Sunday is the beginning of what is known as Holy Week or Passion Week. And this week would be packed with historic events. The Last Supper and Jesus' arrest would occur this coming Thursday. His crucifixion on Friday. And ultimately His resurrection on Sunday, which of course we'll be remembering and celebrating next week. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the most significant event in Christianity. It's the most significant event for all humanity. There has never been and never will be a more significant event than the Word of God being made flesh, living a life, a perfect life in obedience to the Father, giving that life up as an innocent man and then being raised again. That is the most important thing that has or will ever happen on the face of this earth. And it's all to the glory of God. The importance of the events that occur, occurred during this week cannot be overstated enough. Did you know that each of the Gospels devote more attention to the final week of Jesus' life than any other topic? Jesus lived on this earth for 30 years. He had a three-year public ministry. And it's amazing to put this in perspective that the the Gospels, they absolutely include everything that God intended for us to know about Jesus. And it's astonishing to note the amount of time and focus he gave in this word to Jesus' final week of life. The Gospel of Matthew devotes 25% of its content. Seven out of 28 chapters to Jesus' last week on this earth. The Gospel of Mark, five out of 16 chapters, which is 31%. Luke, four out of 24. 
for 17%. And finally, the Gospel of John devotes 36%, seven and a half chapters out of 21, to the final week of Jesus' physical life on this earth. Do you think that was an important week? You would be amazed if you were to sit down and read all of these chapters in one sitting to discover all the things, all the biblical accounts that happened during that week. Most of the time we look at each one of these accounts individually because like I said, we just can't cover it all in 30 minutes. So we break it up into pieces. We look at small pieces. And so when we look at those uh, accounts, we usually don't put it in a time context of where it occurred. But a bunch of those accounts, a bunch of those uh, historical events occurred during the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. A third, almost a third of what's recorded in the Gospels occurred during that last week. We're going to read John's account of Palm Sunday, which is found in John chapter 12. You can turn to John chapter 11 first if you have your Bible. Uh, We're going to look there before we get to chapter 12. Because before we get into 12, I want to share what occurred prior to Jesus' triumphal entry. It's key to what would happen the remainder of this week. The entirety of John 11 is devoted to the death and resurrection of Lazarus. While most of us are probably familiar with the resurrection of Lazarus, it's rarely put into the context of happening immediately before Jesus' own death and resurrection. Did you know that Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead was the primary catalyst for his own crucifixion and resurrection? Scripture is very clear, and we're going to read that uh, in just a second by starting in John chapter 11, verse 47. And now what we're about to read occurred immediately after Lazarus was raised from the dead. Verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we going to do? For this man, speaking of Jesus, performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Verse 50. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. The high priest prophesied without knowing he was prophesying. Obviously, his intent in having Jesus killed was to save his own position and their positions and power in the physical nation of Israel. But the word tells us that as high priest, God used him and spoke through him. That through Jesus Christ, one man, it isn't necessary that all should perish. All can have life and be saved. But not the way that Caiaphas was thinking. It was so much better 
Yet God could use a person who wasn't following him to fulfill his will. So right after these verses, we're told that the Passover was at hand, which also meant that what we now refer to as Palm Sunday was just a few days away. The details of these events are found in the very next chapter in John chapter 12. We find Jesus having supper with the resurrected Lazarus. How about that? (laughs) No wonder people were excited. A man that had been dead is alive and Jesus is having dinner with him. It's also here that Mary anoints Jesus' feet with costly oil. And in verse 7, Jesus makes it clear that she was anointing him for his burial. Verse 9 says that a great many of the people that had come and would be there for Jesus' triumphal entry weren't there for Jesus alone. They were there to see Lazarus, the man who had been dead for four days and was now alive. Verse 10 tells us that the leaders didn't just want to kill Jesus at this point. Now they wanted to kill Lazarus as well because so many people were believing in Jesus on account of that miracle. Lazarus was just bad PR. It's important to understand that this was a very unique miracle. People had been raised from the dead before. Prophets, Elijah, people uh, in the Old Testament had raised people from the dead before. But never in all of history had anyone been raised from the dead after days, in this case four days, of being dead. And now, in this week, or maybe a week and a half, God the Father was going to do it twice. The day after this supper with Lazarus, the, the night after, the day after that his, the evening that his feet are anointed for his burial, the very next day is what we call Palm Sunday. Or the triumphal entry of Jesus. And this account begins in John chapter 12 verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. They were still following him around. It was just a couple of days ago. They wanted to see what was going to happen next. And it was because of their testimony and their witness that the rest of the community, the rest of the city, got excited and came out to see Jesus for his triumphal entry. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. Jesus would also predict his death again in this chapter. 
He actually predicted his death at least six times that it's recorded in the Gospels. He may have done it more, but we have uh, all, like I said before, all the information we need. And, and what God did provide is that Jesus predicted his death six different times. And we're going to take a look at this one starting in verse 23. And this is key to the main point of this morning's message. Verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The fact that Jesus knew where his path was leading him is so integral to his faith, to his obedience. He knew he was heading toward his own excruciating death. And he also knew that there was a victory beyond that in his resurrection because he'd been told so by the Father. But do you understand he had to believe that by faith? He had to trust the Father that he was going to be faithful. The only reason he knew is because he heard the voice of God and believed. But just like us, when we face certain circumstances, even if we may have heard the voice of God, it can still be tough. It can still be hard and challenging. And we know this is true because of verse 27. Jesus' response, he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus predicted his death. He knew it was coming because the Father had revealed it to him. And he also knew that he would be raised up again because he had been told so. And he had shared that very clearly before to the disciples and some of those other predictions. But you know what the word says? They didn't understand. They didn't get it. Mark referenced it last week that that Peter was so bold as to say, This isn't going to happen, Lord. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Sometimes when we think we're on God's side, we're actually working against Him. That's why it's so important to know and hear His voice. But thankfully, like, that wasn't the end of Peter. He, he was restored. It worked out for him. But this was not an easy time for Jesus 
This is before the Garden of Gethsemane, before he would literally sweat drops of blood in agony, knowing what was ahead of him. His soul was troubled. And he rhetorically asked the question, do I ask the Father to save me from this hour? How can I? It's for this very purpose that I came. The Word tells us that before the creation of the world, in Revelation it says Jesus Christ was crucified. The Lamb's blood was shed. John, if you read that chapter 1, it says that He was in the beginning beforehand. They knew beforehand Jesus Christ coming to earth in flesh was not a plan B for God. It was the plan A. He knew we would mess up. He knew we would break our relationship with Him. He knew that it had to be restored. And before He even created us, He said, I love them enough. I'll do it. And Jesus comes into that hour in torment of His soul. But He says, am I going to ask to get out of it? This was the plan. This is why I'm here. And this is absolutely key to this morning's message. Jesus knew what he faced and he obediently submitted to the Father's will because he was too good to run away. He was going to face whatever he had to face because it was the Father's will. Jesus Christ was setting a perfect and eternal example for us. And then he continued in verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Amen. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He wasn't talking about being lifted up after the the resurrection. He was talking about being lifted up on the cross. And verse 33 makes that very clear. And we would think that the miracles that Jesus had performed and certainly bringing Lazarus back from the dead just a few days ago would be enough to convince everyone of who he was. But if you read the rest of chapter 12, you'll find that that's just not the case. It said, even though Jesus had done many signs and wonders, they still did not believe in him. And then it gives a caveat. It says, well, some of the leaders and some of the people actually did believe. But they were too afraid to say anything or confess it because of fear of the leadership. They had more fear of man than to do what God was calling them to do. And we all know that Jesus in Matthew 10 said and made it very clear that if we are unwilling to confess him before men, he will not confess us before the Father. They chose an earthly reward over an eternal destiny because they were too afraid to stand up for what they believed in their heart. Our faith has to be a public faith. Jesus goes on to proclaim that if they, and of course we, would believe in Him, that we're not just believing in Him, but we're believing in the One who sent Him, God the Father, And that He came, Jesus Christ came to light up this world. And that anyone who believes in Him would not remain in the darkness. 
And then he said that everything that he spoke was not in his own authority, but the authority of the Father. And this is found in chapter, or verse 50 of chapter 12. It said, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The message says, portrays this verse as I know exactly what his command produces. Real and eternal life. And the New King James says, I know that His command is everlasting life. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. All authority and in heaven and on earth had been given to Him. Yet He humbled Himself to be a servant, to live on this earth in the flesh, just like us. And even in the moment that his soul was troubled, he was willing to walk in the perfect will of the Father. Because he was too good to run away. How do we respond? I'm glad you asked. First and foremost, if you haven't already made a decision to follow Jesus Christ... As your Lord and Savior, that's step one. He calls us to repent and be saved. The word that he began to proclaim, it says that he began to proclaim the kingdom of heaven and to repent. And repentance just means to change your mind. What do we need to change our mind about? We have to change our mind that we are not God and he is. I mentioned to you how the story ends, how the whole history of the world ends in Revelation, that there's still men and women at the very end, after a thousand years of seeing Jesus Christ in person, are still going to have within their hearts a rebellion. And they're still going to say, I'd rather try to take him out than bend my knee. That's what repentance is. It's saying in your own free will, right now, while you have the opportunity, I'm wrong and you're right about everything. Everything that your word proclaims is the truth. If my will contradicts this, I'm wrong. That's what repentance is. And we do it over and over And over and over again. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've run up against this word. And a hundred percent of the time I'm on the losing end. And I have to repent again. Change my mind again. And say, Father, renew my mind. Give me the mind of Christ. Give me your mind about this subject, about this topic, about this trial, about this tribulation. Line my will and my mind up with yours. That's the only way we're made right. And Jesus Christ made the way. It's a free gift. If you've done that, then it's just about being in relationship with the Father. Knowing Him. Hearing His voice. And responding to His voice when you hear it. Being obedient. Completely obedient. It's not about an easy life. Jesus Christ lived the perfect example and he did not have an easy life. After the first 
message. Somebody reminded me they read a book, uh, and we're going to look at the scripture in just a second. There's, I know you all know this verse, uh, but we, we're very selective. We only say the middle part. All things work together for good. Aren't you so glad? Everything's going to work out for good. Praise the Lord. He read a book that that's what it was titled, All Things Work Together for Good. And the picture on the cover of the book is the Apostle Steve, or not, he was an apostle, he was just a, a deacon, Stephen, getting stoned. Praise the Lord. That was good. That was God's plan and purpose for his life. And Stephen didn't get stoned alone. God was with him, in him. Jesus prayed for us. Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17. He said, Father, I don't pray that you'll take them out. I pray that you'll be with them, that you'll protect them from the evil one. That they'll accomplish what we've called them to accomplish through your power, through your word, through their obedience to us. That's what I pray. We're not called to run away. We're called to face it with him, whatever it looks like. Our future may have a cross in it, in it. It may have stones in it. But we can face it in faith if God's with us. You know what the front and back of that verse say? For those who love God. For those who love God. All things will work together for good. There's more. For those that are called according to his purpose. What? You don't mean I just get to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, and God's going to work it all out together for good? Absolutely not. That's not the word of the Lord. For those who love the Lord, all things will work together for good who are called according to his purpose and follow his word in obedience. Who say, not my will, Father, your will be done. That's when it's going to work out for good. Next week's going to be good. It's Easter Sunday. He comes out okay. He's alive. Right now, seated on the throne. He loves you. And he wants you to love him back. He's made the way. All we have to do is respond. We're going to have a ministry team up here and available. We're changing things up. We're giving more time, a place. You're going to have time to respond. We won't cut it off. You won't be left up here uh, alone. We want you to know that it's okay to respond. Take opportunity of this, whether you come and pray or whether you come and pray with a brother and sister in Christ. They'll agree with you in what you are facing today. I know that there's a thousand different reasons in, in this room that our souls are troubled this morning. My soul's troubled this morning for a lot of different reasons. And I have to take those troubles to Him. 
And I want to guarantee you something, or almost guarantee you something. The likelihood is that His answer for you this morning, for, for whatever it is that you're facing that's troubling your soul, it may be depression, it may be anxiety, it may be needing a physical healing or a spiritual healing, it may be an addiction that you've tried and tried and tried and tried to get set free from, but you just can't get set free. Most likely, it's not going to be an instant and miraculous deliverance. Most likely, he's saying, I want to be in it with you. If you will know me and hear my voice and respond to me in the middle of it, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you will love me, it's going to work out for good if you stay according to my purpose. And Jesus responded in that manner. He faced it. He didn't run away. He said, this is the hour I came for. The thing that you're in right now, this is the hour you came for. To find God in that moment and for Him to be glorified in it. He will get all the glory. He will get all the honor. He will get all the praise. If we'll just be in a relationship with Him and respond to Him. Will you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We give You all glory and all praise and all honor. God, I pray this morning that for whatever anyone may be facing, Lord, whatever is troubling their soul this morning, I pray that they would give it to You, Lord. That they would seek You, Lord that they would trust you. Father, whatever that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them this morning, that their ears would be quick to hear your word and that they would obediently respond and you would be glorified because you will do what only you can do. Father, if there's anyone this morning that, that chose to repent, to change their mind, to take themselves off the throne and and let you sit in your rightful place, Lord. I pray that they would come forth and talk to one of these up front. That we could walk with them and disciple them in the way they can go from this point forward. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 